Thank you for that devotional, Bradley. Um, Claire has some papers. One of the young men, can we have, well, two young men volunteer, pass these out, and if they're, if you're um, couples that are sitting with each other, if you could share, there's not an infinite number of, yeah. So I'm not entirely sure of the whole backstory. Um, it came from the executive committee. Uh, there was a number of internet failures, and then I think it was along with Nathan Hurst's concerns as well, um, that they would look into um, accountability software and also filters, and this was the tech committee and the general guidance committee, and that they would come back to conference and give us a proposal on ways or what, how to use them, what ways there is, are good uses for them. And I guess before I get too deeply into it, none of this was meant to replace personal accountability. None of this was meant to replace brotherhood. None of this was meant to replace discipleship. But as technology increases, um, I think to put proper safeguards in place is a must among us people. The other thing I'll say is there has to be a desire for accountability, for accountability software to work. Because there was, you know, there's, there's a whole list of disadvantages to accountability software. Um, one is techie people can often get around accountability software if they so choose. Um, there's devices that are very cheap at Walmart, and so, while you may think a person's main device is blocked, they could have three other devices which are not blocked. <laughs> and so they, they, the gist of it is the heart has to be right. You have to have the desire to be right. But then if those are your desires, they, these tools can be real helpful um, in times of weakness. Or, and even times of, so you tell your accountability partner, well, I'm doing great. But the amount of time you spend on the internet and what your accountability partner would say was great may not be the same thing. And sometimes we don't, aren't proper judges of what we're doing ourselves. And so we spent a long period of time and it just gives our accountability partner the option to say, well, why were you spending so much time online? Was your computer just on? Or were you on it for the last 24 hours? You know, sometimes, and it, sometimes there's discussions. Um, my reporting goes to Claire, and, and we've had some interesting discussions because of what it will flag. Um, but it's good. Uh, it, and it, it allows us to talk through, well, what was searched? Why did this word come up? And, and it, some of these softwares pick up a surprising amount of stuff. Um, so there was three recommendations given. The first option was require reporting software on every internet-enabled device except those used for business work where the software may cause difficulties. Now, with record, uh, accountability software, there's some people that have businesses that have sensitive data, and Covenant Eyes and some of these do screenshots, and, and they're blurred out, but the, the fear is that somewhere on a server that there's... <laughs> Um, they're probably unblurred somewhere, and so hackers could get sensitive business information. That is a, a, a possibility with some 
It's unlikely. They have very good encryption on a lot of these, but it's, it's a possibility. The second option was strongly encourage members to use reporting software with the ministry having direction to require in specific cases of failure, ask parents to require their young people to have reporting software on internet-enabled devices. And then option three, ask parents to have reporting software on their young people's internet-enabled devices, encourage congregational ministries to require reporting software for those who have failed to control their viewing. And so there was a lot of discussion at conference. It went back and forth and, and all the ways that it won't work and all the ways that it could be a good thing. And at the end of the hour or so of discussion, we settled upon option two. And it's in your little paper there. It reads as follows, strongly encourage members to use reporting software with the ministry having discretion to require in specific cases of failure. Ask parents to require their young people to have reporting software on internet-enabled devices. By formal action, conference approve this statement, move that we accept option two provisionally, and ask the tech and GGC to continue to work toward implementing this option. Um, so there's not many families in our midst that this is an issue with right now, but I think there is good accountability software that we can use as parents between one another. Uh, and as we move towards more openness, it, um, it's just going to be a good thing. Uh, as far as children, so I thought of Joe's children, they're getting older, but once you get to, you know, 16, 17, and they get around more internet-enabled devices, we, we are requiring parents to be accountable. And, and some people said, well, you know, we're already doing this with our children. And, and that's kind of what we expected. But that, if we're going to use the internet in a responsible way, we expect our parents to require some kind of accountability software with their children. Um, I was trying to think of, and, and yeah, in the case of failures, you know, if you have had failures in the past and you tend to be going down these rabbit holes, it's accountability software is really good when you know that your accountability software see, you know, sees every search that you do or they, they see where you're going. It helps you um, stay on the right track. Is there something important I've missed? There is, there's a, there's a bunch of different softwares out there. I'm using accountability or accountable to you. Um, I think MobySip has it. Covenant Eyes has it. Uh, is there some more, Justin? And this focus was mostly on accountability software, which was actually sending a report of some type to your accountability partner. But then we're using this software in relation to getting together with your accountability partners 
you know, it doesn't have to be going to the ministry. Um, a lot of you are accountable to one another, not the ministry, and it can be going to each other, and then you can have a discussion, well, hey, we watched a lot of videos last month, we need to watch fewer videos, or, you know, whatever it is that is showing up on these reports, um, then it can be a method of discussion. So I would encourage it. We will work with you in implementing it. Um, these aren't all free, but at the end of the day, if we want to keep a pure church, uh, what is the cost we want to put on that? Uh, I, I would be willing to spend, you know, I've invested a lot of money in accountability software just trying them out. I think I have three subscriptions now, and some I'm not real happy with, but I, I guess that's um, one of the things. So with MobiSip, if you allow certain apps, you will be able to get around the software once you log into that app. Um, so after I see you go on that app, then you're free to go where you choose. And so what do I know? And so that's what I'm saying. It has to be a heart's desire to do what's right. And, and if you struggle in a particular area, just get rid of that app altogether. And maybe Philip will share more on this. So that's all I had. Was, is, yeah, do you have any questions about this or? And we can take questions afterwards too if some arise after. Maybe we'll let Philip have his talk and then we could open up for questions again. Maybe we could direct them at Philip. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, this time I'll turn the time over to Philip. Well, good evening. It's a pleasure to be here and to have the opportunity to see your new church and to see you. <clears throat> I don't know what Dave is expecting. Um, he mentioned maybe I'll be talking about apps, not so much. Um, a lot of my interest in what technology does is in what it does to us people, as people, and how it affects us. And so I'm sharing primarily from that perspective. I want to start out with a quote from John Adams soon after the government of the United States was established. We have no government armed with a power capable of contending with human passions, unbridled by morality and religion. Avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution is designed only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for any other. There's something we need to understand from that quote, and it's this. There is no Constitution, there is no legal system in the world that is capable of controlling human passions. There has to be a moral sense that guides the relationship between that Constitution 
and the individual to frame the way that they relate to that Constitution and therefore for it to bring about what it is meant to bring about. Unfortunately, I feel there are many people in conservative churches who look at their church standard as if it has, that, has the capacity to deal with human passions. Do you ever think about the church standard as, as being, if I'm inside the church standard, then I'm okay? Is that the way you think about life? Do you think that the church, being within the church standard, will keep you on the straight and narrow? You see, folks, the church standard can never be more than a point of reference from which we find a mooring and, and then that spreads out. That the, the ideas, the concepts of that standard spread out into the other areas of our lives. If, the, if, if keeping the church standard is sufficient, then we will never actually live out what is intended by the standard. The Christian life is not founded in a written standard of living. It is founded in something very different. It's in a life that is directed by a voluntary choice to discipline oneself to follow Jesus. And that's something that's very personal, and it has to be very personal to you. The Christian life is founded on a life directed by a voluntary choice to discipline oneself to follow Jesus. If you want a reference, I'm not going to read any references tonight. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 35, for that point that I just made. There's three things in, the, in, the state, in that statement. One of them is following Jesus. One of them is a voluntary choice. The, the third thing is personal discipline. Those things have to be actively participating in your life in relation to the church standard. So we just got up, Dave just got up and shared a little bit about the church standard tonight. They're putting up a standard, or they're, they're setting a standard that's to be something to be there. Now, what is that trying to say to you? Is that simply trying to say to you, you need to have a blocker on your phone? Or is it saying something more than that to you? Is it saying that I need to be living a life of purity? And I need to be taking the steps that are necessary to live that life of purity. That's the kind of things you need to be thinking when you look at the church standard. When you look at the standard the church sets forward, you need to be thinking about what is this calling me to? There's something different that I want to think about yet, and then we'll dive into the subject. The Bible refers to the church as a flock of sheep. Pastor comes from the Latin word for shepherd. In the biblical view of the church, the pastor is part of the flock, but he also has a responsibility to lead out in the flock as a shepherd. In your mind, how does that function practically? What does that look like? I don't know what goes through your mind, but when I think about the idea of a flock and a shepherd, I think back to the years when they had their flocks up on the side of the mountain, and the shepherd was up there, and that's the concept that it's talking about when it talks about a flock. And the shepherd was up there, and he was maybe standing by the edge of a meadow, and the sheep are out grazing in the meadow, and they're not too far away from him. And as the grass gets short, he calls them and he says, okay, we need to move up to another pasture because the grass is getting too short here. You're not getting the nourishment that you need. 
And he calls them, and they, they turn when they hear his call because they know his voice, and they turn and they follow him. And they don't follow him because they're whipped. They don't follow him because they're driven. They follow him because they know his voice and they know his intent. Is that your relationship with the Lord Jesus tonight? Do you know his voice and are you following him? Is that the relationship that you have with your pastor tonight? You know his voice. You know where he's going. You know he's going to take you to the better pasture. Because you see in that kind of a, in that kind of a setting... There's other things that could, be, that could happen. You know, he might take you up a, rock and, a rocky and steep trail to get to that other pasture. So does that mean that you're not going to follow him because of that? Does that mean you're going to find your own way? How are you going to get to that greener pasture? You need to be thinking about that. And in a sense, we all must go together because the pasture is part of the flock. But there's other things that could be involved in this upward call of God. There might be tangled briars to trap us. There might be steep cliffs where we could plunge to our death. There's a roaring lion out there who's hungry and is looking for something to devour. There's wolves dressed like sheep. And we each have a responsibility in a brotherhood church to speak to one another and to say, don't go that way. Stay close to the flock. Don't, be so far, don't go so far out there. Be aware of this. And I want to talk to you tonight about something that I believe is a real bramble patch and could be a precipice if we're pulled beyond, pulled into it. I want to talk about the effects of technological and social media on our lives. I'm not a tech expert. If you have questions about how devices should operate, that's why Justin's here or one of the other tech committee. He'll point you in a direction. Neither am I an anti-internet fanatic. I use the internet. And a lot of the things that I talk about tonight, I use myself. But there's things that we need to understand if we use these devices and these technologies. I remember sitting down beside a brother one time I said, I want to talk about technology. And he said, you mean like the refrigerator? That's technology too, and that affects us. The refrigerator affects us. Before you had a refrigerator, what did you have to do? You had to have a spring house or somewhere to keep your stuff cool, and there were things that you couldn't keep for a certain period of time. But now that we have a refrigerator, we have a place to put it, and then it gets old. And we throw it out anyway. But it makes us a little bit more lazy in some ways to have a refrigerator. But a refrigerator's good, right? I'm glad we have a refrigerator. And this technology is changing. How many people, are there, is there anybody here that doesn't remember, that remembers a time when they didn't have a refrigerator? Nobody here. Time's changing. That's Fifty years ago, there were many people who probably remembered that. I'm sure they would have. <laughs> but you're probably people that remembered when you didn't. <laughs> so in past civilizations, there were only a handful of famous people. A person could achieve fame 
only through some kind of significant actions or abilities. And what did that mean? Well, they would have some kind of, of, of super uh, thing that they would do or ability that they would have, and people would learn about them, but, but the person who was famous actually wouldn't know the people that knew them. And, and that's kind of a, a broad definition of what fame is. Fame is to be known by people who you don't know. The more people that know you that you don't know, the more famous you are. In years past, it took some kind of a, of a big achievement to, to um, gain fame. But today, that's no longer the case. Ava is a 14-year-old TikTok, TikTok star who lives in Florida. An 18-year-old man from Maryland became obsessed with her. When she cut off communication with him, he began stalking her, eventually coming to her home. Her father shot and killed the young man after he fired a shotgun through their front door. Ava felt the good of her social media interaction outweighed the bad. Primarily, this is the good, that she gets a thrill every morning at the amount of likes she has in her latest video. Even though the bad was an obsessed young man attacking their daughter, Ava's parents are, have allowed her to continue her TikTok account and build her brand. The secular commentator relating this story finished with this. Parents need to be looking down the road for their children from a vantage point that is inaccessible to the child. It seems gross and negligent on the part of Ava's parents to allow her to continue, but compared to other parents who allow their children to pursue fame on social media, social media they are worse only by degrees, not by kind. It's the same kind of badness to allow your child to pursue fame on social media as what her parents are to allow her to continue on a in a life-threatening venture. So a measure of fame can be acquired by anyone who has a social media account. We become known by people who don't know us. All you have to do is offer yourself up as a spectacle and have others, for whatever reason, accept that offer. And all of a sudden, you become famous. And in most cases, like as in TikTok, in most cases that means undress to get likes. Or dance better and undress to get likes. And so you have things that we don't want to have any part of. One person said, fame on social media is similar to being a lottery winner. The fame can be acquired with no discipline, and those who achieve it do not know how to handle its negative side. So if you become famous on social media, you can do it without any discipline. But then you're not going to know how to deal with it. And like lottery winners, usually it destroys them. Fame on social media will destroy your child. There is another side of this, too. There are those who seek fame, but unlike Ava, they don't acquire it. Their lives never, never seem to match up with the glamorous snippets they see of others on social media. They get gripped by a sense of desperation that they somehow don't measure up, that their life is a failure. There is currently an epidemic of 12 to 14-year-old girls attempting suicide in our country. And the root of that is social media. It's especially, especially damaging to children who are developing. 
both boys and girls, but especially girls. And folks, these aren't Mennonite statistics. These are secular people talking about the things that they're seeing happening in our country as a result of the things that are happening on social media. And they're calling out an alarm. And some of the research that I did, I'm going to be sharing with you tonight, is men who are social scientists, who are trying to get things in the Constitution to control the use of social media to help people to keep from having this problem. But you know what I just told you about the Constitution? It's not capable of restraining the passions. And so ultimately, it's not going to work. And no, we don't have a lot of our young ladies slitting their wrists. But we are not immune to the demoralizing effect of the artificial lives being put forward on social sites. The psychology behind what happens with that media will affect us. It will. Don't say it might, it will affect you. And you need to know what the cues are to tell whether you're being affected wrongly by it. And that's part of what I'm going to talk about with different forms of social media. So what's the psychology that's driving social media? What, why do the people running these platforms, why are they running them? Well, it's to make money. And the primary way that they make money is they sell ads. So they are selling ads to people. They're giving you the free service, but they're selling ads to people so that you will spend more time on the Internet. Sorry, I said that wrong. They're selling ads to people to make money, and then the more time that you spend on the Internet, the more exposure you have to the ads. So the more profitable it can be for them and for their clients. So they want you to spend time on the Internet. So their whole goal, their focus, is to get you to stay on there. So how do they do that? Well, what if you had a product that you wanted to sell, and you could put that product in an advertising environment where it went only to the people who were interested in that particular product? That would be the most efficient way you could advertise, wouldn't it? So what these, what these um, media platforms are doing is they're using artificial intelligence to gather data constantly. As you're on the Internet, they're gathering the data about where you go and what you're looking at. And as they gather that data, they're compiling it in a special package for you, and then they're shipping you ads based on what you're looking for. That's happening constantly as you're on the Internet. So have you ever been surprised when you looked up a new lawnmower or something like that, and the next day, there's an ad for a lawnmower. Where did that come from? That came from artificial intelligence collecting your data and saying, we want to sell him a lawnmower. So what does that do? It does two things that I want to bring up specifically. One, it makes you think that the issues you're focused on are hugely important in the world. So when you're constantly getting feeds of the stuff that you're interested in because you were looking at it earlier, then you think, oh, well, here's another person that's interested. Here's another, here's another, here's another. 
This must be a big issue. And that leads to polarization. And I'll talk about that more later. The other thing that it does is it provides a trail for you to follow that feeds your interests exclusively. And that's addiction. That takes you to addiction. The two primary psychological things that these media groups are aiming at is polarization and addiction. They're trying to feed you polarization and addiction, and there's a reason for that. Is it because that every time you see something that is polarizing, you see something that's addicting, it gives you a dopamine hit. And that's an actual physical thing that happens in your body. That dopamine hit makes you want more. And I can illustrate that very simply using sugar. So in years past, where did we get our sugar? Years ago, before you could refine sugar, where did we get it? Maple trees. There you go. Honey. Good. Sorghum. Fruit. Right? How did you get access to it? Maple sugar, it's just, a, it's, it's by the gallon down here, just down the road, isn't it? <laughs> but you see, we've got technologies and capacities to refine those sugars and make them readily available to us so that we don't have to work for them anymore. We used to have to, have to go out and hunt for them and gather them, and it took a lot of labor, it took a lot of exercise, and then it was a limited supply. We couldn't just buy gallons and gallons at the store. It was a limited supply, so you only put a little bit of honey on your cornflakes because you only had three gallons that you'd found in the woods. You didn't cover the whole bowl. And then you didn't get what? You didn't get as much sugar. It wasn't as concentrated. And the new technology of being able to refine and produce sugar has given us the option of going to the sugar bowl and getting as much sugar as we want. And that's a re there's a reward circuit in that. And so guess what happens? When you eat that really, really good cookie, what happens? You want to go back and you want to get another cookie. And you want to get another cookie, and you want to get another cookie, and you want to get another cookie. And it creates a short circuit in your brain. And that's why we're so tempted with sweets, because we become addicted to them. Essentially, we're extracting the reward from the exercise and discipline that the reward circuit was meant to promote. So it was meant, that reward circuit is there, naturally, God put it there to promote in us a, a cycle that is natural and healthy. But when we short circuit that by feeding our addictions, we're actually cutting off what God created to be good substituting it and damaging ourselves with it. What's the result of too much refined sugar? In the countries, in the developed countries, obesity is one of the leading causes of death in developed countries. So what are the results? So what's that have to do? Well, there's two things that that, that has to do with this. One problem is that it's not developmental. Okay, so sugar is good, and you can gain weight with sugar but it's not developed weight. It's not the kind of weight that you want particularly. 
And that's the issue with this whole circuit breaking thing. It doesn't develop you. And that's the concern of a big part of these um, social scientists who are so concerned about what's happening in our country. People are not getting developed. They're getting short-circuited. And so they are not even getting developed mentally. And as this continues to happen, we're going to see an increased reduction in mental capacity in people as a result of this short circuit problem. I'm going to give you a quick list, and you can ask about me later if you want to, what, how, how this all ties in. But this short circuit issue, YouTube is this to real experience. Porn is this to sexuality. Social media is this to relationships. Online shopping is this to exploration and discovery. YouTube is a sugar bowl for real experience. Porn is a sugar bowl for sexuality. Social media is a sugar bowl for relationships. Online shopping is a sugar bowl for exploration and discovery. So I brought up two things. One of them was addiction, the other was polarization that are driving these platforms. As we get these dopamine hits from seeing polarizing and addicting things, we want to go back and we want to go back and we want to go back and we get caught up in this cycle. And what happens when we get caught up in this cycle is it's not actually that we just don't develop properly. The issue is that we can't develop properly. You can't go to the sugar bowl and go to the sugar bowl and go to the sugar bowl and develop properly. It's impossible. It is physically impossible for you to do that. If you get into a broken cycle of addiction with your internet usage, it's not the fact that you, let's say, I'll just pick YouTube. It's not that you can't, it's not that you just don't have a real world experience like you should. The fact is you can't because you don't know how to properly interact with the world. It breaks our circuit and we're not able to develop healthy relationships. And it's not just relationships with humans. It's, relationships with the, it's a relationship with the real world. It's a relationship with truth. Those are things that we lose the capacity to have a proper relationship with too. Secular sources call the appeal, this appeal, our lower nature. And that's not even from a Christian perspective because it's not developmental. That's why they call it our lower nature. Because they see the higher nature as being the side of us that develops us and makes us into something more than we are. The other thing that happens is, as these sites channel to match our interests, it continues to offer more and more radical views on the subject of our preference. So not only as you go down these money trails, not only do you continue to, to think that this is increasingly more and more important, but it also veers you off in, the, in a radical direction because it's always offering you a more radical view than what you're currently looking at. It might offer you a less radical view, but you're, that's not going to pull your interest because that's not as polarizing. And so it's the more radical views that will draw you in and make you... And, and pull you towards more polarization. 
The other thing that we do is we quickly find our connection with our online community with whom we agree and we reject, reject the people right around us with whom we don't agree quite as closely. And so what does that do? What well, polarizes us at the most critical points? And if you don't think that this is happening in the church, I don't know how many links I got from both sides of the COVID issue saying, read this about the vaccine, read this about the vaccine. From both sides, I'm not picking any side here. I'm saying I got them from both sides. And that's because people were pulling stuff online that they agreed with and they were trying to promote their view by putting it forward. I'm not saying that all or any of those particularly were wrong in, in themselves. I'm just saying that those are the kind of things that happen and they do affect us as people. And we need to be aware of it. I want to talk about some specific forms of social media, some specific social media platforms. TikTok and Snapchat, ditch them. They're built around sensuality and fame. Yes, with, with consistent use, you're able to get rid of some of the sensual content over a period of time, but why expose yourself to temptation and muck through temptation to get to a platform to communicate with a friend when there's other apps you could use that might work semi or equally as well? Twitter has become an insult playground, and it is a huge driver in our country right now for polarization. Do not think that Elon Musk is not trying to buy Twitter for a reason. It has a tremendous amount of power in our country. Instagram has taken a severe downward turn in the last five years. There's been a tremendous increase of these things called porn bots on Instagram. And what that is, is it's links that show up as blog sites. So they're social sites. And you click on that link, and then when you go through that link, you actually go into a private chat room where people can expose themselves indecently for likes. And so what can happen is, well, what happens is then it's not filterable because it just appears as a social site. And so your internet blocker is not going to block it because it just thinks it's a social site. That site, I think, has to be flagged a certain amount of time or it has to have a certain amount of data connected to it before it becomes connected as a central site. And so people can set up these blog sites and they can present this central material and it will not be blocked on your phone or on your device. Facebook, it's a great place to spend hours looking at people and things with whom you have no real connection. Their video content is largely sensual and the content posted by a majority of people who do not share our faith and practice is patriotic and sensual. 
The time spent with Instagram and Facebook, quote, friends, is time taken away from people with whom we have, could have meaningful relationships. So I have a recommendation for you. I use Facebook Marketplace, okay? So I am here before you as someone who's preaching to himself, and I hope you understand that. But here's what I recommend to you if you use Facebook or Instagram. I highly recommend that you limit your social media use to those with whom you have meaningful relationships. If you cannot limit yourself to this, delete your account. Use these tools to build meaningful relationships. Don't use them to destroy meaningful relationships. This is maybe a smaller point, but I want to talk about it just a little bit. So I really enjoy using WhatsApp. It's the best messaging app that I'm aware of. It does a really good job for messaging. There's this little thing you can do called a status. And I've posted statuses before. But I want you to think about something that lies beneath posting statuses that has to do with relationships. What makes a moment valuable? What really makes a moment valuable is the interaction that you have between you and someone that you love. And the value of that moment is best kept when you keep it between you and that person. And what happens is when, when posting statuses becomes your go-to response to every one of those precious moments, then the people around you become, I had it written down here, now I can't think of the word. The people, those participating become the object of your status instead of the individual who made the moment special. So they quickly become the object that makes you status worthy instead of being a meaningful, valuable relationship that you're going to point back to that time and you're going to say, remember when we did that? Wasn't that so much fun? YouTube. This is probably where I think we have the biggest weakness as a group of churches. YouTube is the second largest search engine on the internet. Did you know that? Have you noticed that in the past year or so, when you're on the internet, that if you see an ad, many of those ads are video ads? There's reasons for that, and I don't have enough time to talk about all that, but there's loads and loads of information in a 30-second video clip, like pages upon page, like hundreds of pages of information on a 30-second on a video clip. Video is the way God designed us to interact with the world. Your eyes and your mind are the camera and the screen, but there's a problem with that. And that is the fact that if I put a GoPro on my head and you followed me every day of everything that I do, every day of my life, you would soon become very, very bored with that video and say, my life's that good, I'll just do it my own way. You don't go to YouTube and watch that kind of videos. You go to YouTube to watch those short clips of highly entertaining information. 
And then you see another one. Oh, that looks good. And so you go to that one. And on and on and on. Life wasn't meant to be this exciting, pressure-filled, tension-filled experience. That's what you get when you spend a lot of time on YouTube. This exciting environment before your eyes that's playing out. And all of a sudden, the things that you do just aren't that exciting anymore. And you become disconnected with the real world. Our position on video is on page 34 of our R&D, Rules and Discipline. I'm not going to read it. You can look it up later. It says legitimate uses are business and instruction. And I want to encourage you tonight, challenge you tonight, that if you do not discipline yourself to meet or exceed that standard, you will be negatively affected by video usage. Video and computer games do virtually the same thing, especially to children. Again, younger ages, mind-forming times are especially vulnerable to this kind of stuff. Please do not let your children play video games. And I said this at Mabel, and I didn't say this extra part. You know, I'm not talking about a Yahtzee on their phone every once in a while or a Scrabble game or something like that every once in a while. I'm talking about action games where they're engrossed and can't, you can't pull them away. Don't let your children do that. It will negatively, it will, they will not be able to develop, period. Do not use video for a babysitter. Terrible trap. Again, your children will not develop properly if you use video for a babysitter. How about podcasts? Do you listen to podcasts? The intake of information is mind-forming. What podcast do you listen to? Who developed the podcast? Is the, is the source reliable? Is the content upbuilding? Is it developing you as an individual? Or is it dragging you into a radical ditch? Who are your sources? Especially, again, young people, people who are young in faith, need to be highly careful about the sources of their podcasts. All right. I've spent more time than I did at Mabel, I think. I better wrap this up. So God put these physical reward circuits in place to take us to something beyond the physical. The deeper relational part of who we are as human beings. And when they get broken, we'll always have this, this sense that our lives are incomplete. And our world is full of those people people that have a sense that their lives are incomplete and they're filling themselves with so much trash and garbage and stuff on the internet and they're just like hungry. They don't know where to go. Our lives have a limited volume both in time and in relational capacity. You only have a certain amount of time and you only have a certain amount of ability to build relationships. I'd like to illustrate something up here. Think about these two things as two people's lives. They only have a certain amount of capacity. In fact, these two containers right here, this one and these two together, are just about the exact same volume capacity, okay? I was talking about the fact that when we get involved with social media and, and sites and get that addiction cycle rolling, we actually can't develop beyond 
That's what this is, is demonstrating. So we actually build a barrier between us and the deeper part of our being. So what happens when you, go into, when you go into social media sites and you start seeking for surface relationships to be able to fill that inner void that you have, that desire that you have that's God-given, that's to, to go into the deep relational part of your being. And you start, you start actually, instead of going down, you build a barrier between the deep part of yourself and you start spreading out. And so your life becomes increasingly broad and increasingly shallow. And you cut off... The, the, the ability to reach down into the deeper part of your being, Pascal called it a God-shaped hole in the heart of every human, something roughly like that. God intended for our relationships not to be so broad. He intended for them to be more narrow, the people with whom we exist, and that those relationships would actually build us and, and deepen us and develop us in a way that we would actually work our way down to where we were meeting the needs of those deep recesses of our heart where God and our brother are so valuable to us and they're meeting those needs that we have deep within us for good relationship with God and good human relationships. I've talked about a lot of things tonight. And, that, and they have, most of them have some legitimate forms of use. But if they are not heavily disciplined personally, they will get us in trouble. You can count on that. You can write it down. And I've laid out some things pertaining to our psychological and physical well-being. But I want us to think beyond that to the deeper part, to our spiritual being, that's really what's at stake, because that's what's down here at the deepest level of who we are. That's our spiritual being. And that's what's longing for God. And God put those circuits in place to help us to get to that point, to get to find Him, and to find our brother in a good spiritual relationship. The Christian life is founded on a life directed by a voluntary choice to discipline oneself to follow Jesus. So I've said a lot of things tonight that aren't required by the rules and discipline. So what are you going to do with them? Are you going to go home and say, well, you know, I should make some changes, but the church doesn't really require me to, and so I'll just keep doing things the way that I am and hope that it turns out okay. And five years down the road, we have a whole lot bigger problems than we do today because people are approaching these things that they ought to be disciplining in their lives personally, and they're not and it's getting control of them, and they're going places that they shouldn't. And there'll be people that will say at that point, we have to put regulation in place to solve this problem. But I want to challenge you, brothers. That's not what the Christian life insisters. That's not what the Christian life is based on. If you don't have a life that's based on personal discipline and following Jesus Christ, developing relationships with your brothers, I want to finish on a positive note. Develop relationships with the people you are around. Good relationships. Found those relationships on the truth of God's Word. Dive in here. Don't make your exploration the online shopping. Get into your Bible and find out what it actually says. Thank you for your patient 
attention. I'll turn it back to Dave. 